The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. That's the longest kick return of the year allowed by the Knowles. Great field position, first and ten. Here's a reverse, a throwback to Uwe Ungwele down the far sideline. Caught, Allen, 10-5, touchdown. Statement made by Clemson. FSU loses a seventh straight to their biggest conference rival. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 7.02 on this Monday night. This is Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State. 89.7 FM, wvfs.fsu.edu, streaming online. And the show is always available as a podcast wherever you find them the next day. Our slate for tonight Florida State falls to Clemson 34-28, their third straight loss this season. They're now 4-3 and three on the year. Also in the first half of the program, we'll have the rest of the college football world, week 7 and 8 looking ahead. Jack Oliaro with Seminole Segment at around 7.30. And then in the second half of the show, we have some NFL Week 6, Sunshine Slate as always, and some Major League Baseball playoffs at the back end of the show. And you can call this very show, you the listener, if you want to ask us, talk to us, give us your takes about any of those things I just mentioned, pick up the phone, 850-644-1837. No guests planned for tonight, so it's just you, the listener, uh, that has the chance to call us in tonight. But uh, this the group of people in this very studio that will be taking on this slate, I am William Haynes, our co-host tonight, Jackson Bakich. Jackson, great to see you back. Our losing skids continue. Your Miami Dolphins, of course, lose again their third straight Florida State losing. I know it's October. I know it's still early. But maybe, just maybe, is it time for us to find some new hobbies, like some finger painting, you know, maybe record collecting? I mean, how are we feeling at this point? Is it time to move on to something else? It's never time to move on. It's never, ever time to move on. Um, But, you know, I haven't picked up the sticks in a while. You know, I haven't played any golf in a while, so maybe that's why I'm feeling so sad, you know, in congruence with the losing streaks that my prospective teams have been on along with, you know, Tampa Bay, the Bucks losing two in a row as well. We'll get into that. But um, obviously we could be better, but we could be doing worse. Um, but it's never time to stop watching football. If there's football on, it always needs to be watched. That's how it is. You can never turn away. Even if it's the Commanders and the Bears on Thursday night, you still have to watch it. Those are the rules. It's our job as Americans to, right. to watch football. It's our it's our patriotic duty to watch these games. I completely agree with you there. Great to have you in. Uh, the panelists to my right, Amanda Golson. Amanda, you were in the press box on Saturday night. You covered the game. You wrote our article for us on uh, the V89sports.wordpress. You can check the articles out there. Also at V89sports, Twitter and Instagram, we put the articles out. But, uh, yeah, you had an interesting vantage point up there with all the media seeing, seeing that game go down. So looking All the forward, big wigs. Yes, looking forward to hearing your perspective from up there. But uh, great to have you in, and how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It was honestly, it was a great experience, you know, outcome aside. It felt like I was in a bubble, if that makes sense. Like, not being able to cheer, you know, remaining neutral as media does. And seeing, I think the weirdest part for me was during when the war chant would be fired up and it, I could hardly hear it through the glass and I had to just sit there and act like, I, I mean, I couldn't do anything, but it was the weirdest feeling. I, it felt like I was watching it on TV almost, but other than that, great experience. Um, it was, it, I felt really special up there. I'm not going to lie. 
the Duquesne game this year, that was the first one I covered. I agree with you. It feels totally different from being a fan, but I think you can see the game better from up there. And um, the interview room after everything that comes with it, I'll probably end up covering the Georgia Tech game as well in a couple weeks. But uh, good to have you in and rounding out the panel, making his show debut, Jack Arducer. Uh, great to have you in. You have already, you know, curried some favor with me. You also hail from the 727, as do I. You're also a Tampa Bay sports fan. So you've won me over, but I'm excited for you to, to win the rest of America over with your performance tonight. Jack, great to have you in. How are you? Good. Thank you. Well, the Buccaneers didn't show up, so hopefully we'll get them next week. But we're going to talk about that tonight. And, you know, life's pretty good with postseason baseball. October's a great month to be around and be a sports fan, so... Very excited to talk some baseball at the end of the show. Yeah, some crazy upsets. Playoff baseball is always very different than what we expect, and this year was no different. Routing out the crew, peeking in from behind the glass, our producer, as always, Jack Oliaro. He'll have seminal segment at uh, the 30-minute mark of the hour or thereabouts. But don't want to delay it any further. Getting right into the meat of the show, Florida State football, they lose again, 34-28 to the Clemson Tigers. Tigers came in number four in the land. They're five after a close victory, closer than maybe some, most of us on this show expected it to be. But the Knolls were looking to snap a six-game losing streak to Clemson. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the call that you heard from uh, Jeff Colhane and Seminole Sports Properties in Learfield, um, you know, you could just hear in his voice kind of the pain when Clemson blew that game open to start the second half. You could tell how big of an atmosphere it was. Uh, Florida State was also looking to stop another losing streak, which is the one that they're currently in, now up to three games after the 4-0 start. They're 4-3. Big night for recruiting. Uh, Coach Norvell pushed all his chips in the table for this night, expecting the biggest atmosphere, uh, the biggest game against a big opponent, Um, and this is the the night that he chose to show his program off. So there was a lot of um, exterior factors at play here. Um, and the, Florida State, they offered Clemson their first legit road test. I would say pretty easily the, the toughest road atmosphere that Clemson will see all year. So the people that were on Florida State liked that aspect of it. Florida State had that on their side. The spread closed FSU uh, plus five, so Clemson was favored by five. The line fluctuated throughout the week. We talked about that um, with our guests from Clemson the week before, and it ended up being right there about with Clemson winning by six. But to to start off the game, it was another great scripted opening drive, as we've seen all year long. Begins a quick FSU start where they looked really nice. Nine plays, 75 yards, had some well-blocked screens getting the tight ends out there uh, instead of running right up the middle as they usually do, getting uh, the, the speed to the outside against a pretty ferocious Clemson defense that had their way for large portions of the night. Malik McLean on third down, and then uh, that Jordan Travis touchdown where he juked a man in open space on the zone read uh, to make it 7-0. Clemson to follow uh, a 59-yard touchdown pass on a play-action touchdown to Antonio Williams. It was a a play-action pass where Kevin Knowles was inches away from sacking DJ Uwe Ungalale but can't get it, and you had a a blown coverage on the back end that tied it at 7 Uh, Knowles responded 15 plays, 93 yards, 7 minutes. Uh, They had Johnny Wilson on a nice corner route, Malik McLean on a drag, Trey Benson running through the defense to make it 14-7 Knowles. And at that point, you thought uh, that Florida State had a pretty good chance to hang around with this team, and it didn't stay that way for long. Uh, And then DJ Lundy with a a touchdown plunge from a yard out on fourth and goal, as he had done in the Bayou earlier this year. Second quarter, Clemson shows why they're a playoff team. They scored on six straight possessions, icing this game away. They had a 13-play, 75-yard drive to tie it at 14-all. 
Uh, next drive, Trey Benson gets it into Clemson territory, but a couple of drops, which was a big deal last week against NC State, leads to a turnover on down uh, at the 31-yard line of Clemson. So they elect not to take the field goal and a couple of drives, which has been a common theme for this team. Clemson field goal uh, gives the Knowles a chance at a two-minute drill, 17-14, and this is where it all unravels. Jordan Travis uh, gets a sack fumble, led to another Clemson touchdown right before half, 24-14 Tigers. And uh, I know if you watched on the broadcast, even if you're at the game, I'm sure you've heard of it at some point, what Dabo Sweeney, the head coach of Clemson, calls the middle eight. The four minutes before halftime and the four minutes after halftime is when the games are won and lost oftentimes, and Clemson dominated that middle eight like nothing I've ever seen before, as I said, up 10 at halftime, and they scored right out of half as well. Um, and also to note, FSU trailed 21-7 at half to Wake Forest, and that quickly became 28-7. So we've seen this before where the, the Knowles kind of crumble with a fumble right before halftime and the game gets away from them. But quickly uh, recapping the second half, Clemson drives through the dagger right out of the locker room along Will Shipley kickoff return, and he was torturing the Knowles all night. And the first play from scrimmage, a reverse flea flicker, the call that you heard to make it 31-14, and that was about all she wrote. The next drive, FSU failed uh, to convert a fake punt return. Uh, this was not 1988. This was not Leroy Butler. It was 2022 when it was Wyatt Rector, and so the result was not uh, successful, and the Knowles went three and out on their next drive as well, really going into the tank there to start the second half. FSU gets a first and goal at the two later on. Do not get any points out of it. Basically three fade routes to Johnny Wilson that are unsuccessful. Uh Deeper into the fourth quarter, the defense forces punts on Clemson's last three drives, gives the offense a chance at a comeback. Uh, the Knowles offense, seven plays, 60 yards, and seven plays, 94 yards, uh, to both touchdown drives, the latter with uh, about two minutes and 17 seconds left. That made it 34-28. They added a chance with an onside kick with over two minutes left, but they can't get it to fall their way, and that is the ball game. So the Knowles, uh, they, they fight back. They, they bring the final score much closer than it would have been. But, uh, guys, the offense picked the worst spot in the game to go completely cold. They go six straight drives without scoring when Clemson scored on six straight. And, you know, we can talk about the heart that this team has, and they do. They have they have heart. But really what we've seen from this team these past three weeks is just uh, the inability to score when you need to go toe-to-toe with top 25 teams. Um, you know, we saw against Clemson their their inability to uh, stop penetration um, from the or excuse me from Clemson's defensive line. We we saw a, a lot of pressure on Jordan Travis all night. He was running for his life, which was expected. You know, Clemson has a great defensive line. Uh, you know, all five guys, uh, whether they rush five, rush four, rush three, they they were able to get the job done. But you put it best yourself: six straight drives, um, going scoreless, and. We knew Florida State would be able to compete, but we weren't sure, sure if they'd be able to go toe-to-toe. And uh, that's basically all she wrote. In my opinion, Florida State just isn't there yet. They're not there yet. They're, 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 they're showing that the culture is there. A winning culture is there, but they have to start you know, having a winning execution on the field. But it has to start with the culture. And... Um, you know, for for Florida State, they're on the up and up. You got to be proud of them, but they're just not there yet. This football team—they started out four and zero, three consecutive ACC losses. 
Will they bounce back? Probably. They'll probably end the season very, very strong. They're the Seminoles. Hopefully they will. I do believe that the Seminoles are going to continue to play this season strong. Now, when it comes to the losses at the wrong time, yes, the, the fumble by Jordan Travis to close up the half, 10 consecutive points in that two-minute span. That was a problem. They need to learn how to capitalize. I believe they will, and will continue to recover as it goes, as it goes on. I think also looking at, I mean, granted, if hmm, let me say this, if Florida State scores on the second yard line as you would expect, I think this is a completely different ball game, completely different ending. Maybe not. We would Florida State would not have to fight as hard as they did at the end to catch up. I think that it would have been closer throughout the game and kind of set a tone, maybe spark more momentum. Um, you know, and looking at the rest of Florida State's season, there's a majority of winnable games. Yeah, we're going to get into this later, but um, frankly, I did not expect us expect Florida State to be 4-3 and three at this point. I th- There's really not much you can complain about. I mean, there is, but, you know, this team compared to two years ago is a completely different team, and you take your wins, you take your losses, you move on. It's kind of just a part of... The culture here, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, if you take these games in isolated incidents, like you say, just this Clemson game or just that NC State game, you're frustrated out of your mind that you're not able to pull it, pull it off. But to to your guys's point, you know, going into the year, we are Florida State is hanging with with top five, top ten level opponents. It is good to see. Um, this was certainly the best defense, at least to me, that Florida State is going to see all year. Jackson, you were talking about some of the pressure. I think we all predicted that that was going to be a problem. I went back on film. They, Florida State had success with the screens early, but there were times in the game we talk about it. Florida State is pulling linemen on almost every play. When they pulled two or three to set up a screen, Clemson would just hold the running back or the receiver that was going out on the screen so Travis had nowhere to go the, go with the ball. That happened two or three times. And when that's your offense and you can't even get the screen plays off, you know, you're, you're going to have a tough time. And we've seen this three weeks in a row. Uh, Florida State has not been able to adjust as well as really at all, especially compared to their opponent. Um, you know, we go back to the NC State game last week. They bring in their, their backup quarterback. Devin Leary goes down. He's out for the season now, so uh, speedy recovery to him. But uh, Devin Leary out for the game. They bring in their backup quarterback. Only attempts two passes, completes none of them. Why aren't we loading the box? Why aren't we doing the things that should put pressure on a backup quarterback that's not throwing? Um, we're not making, Florida State's not making the necessary adjustments when they need to. And uh, I think they were outcoached this week. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to on a positive note. Uh, the heart that they showed yeah. this week uh, should not go unnoticed. No, absolutely not. That means a lot. In years past, you know, 31-14, that score ends up looking a lot uglier uh, when the triple zeros are on the clock. Instead, it's just a six-point loss. And and that whether or not everyone sees that, that does mean a lot. And what you're saying about the adjustments, anytime your offense goes six straight drives without scoring points, that's the defense you're facing making adjustments. And it seemed like we were unable to uh, respond in a good way to that. And then on the other end of the football, it seemed like Clemson had, you know, the running back Will Shipley and some of these receivers slipping out in the flat, 
uh, whether we're in the man coverage in the bad spots. I mean, there were Clemson receivers open way too many times. It seemed like defenders didn't know what their assignment was, and we could never really catch our footing in that regard. That being said, Florida State won most of the statistical categories when you look at the team stats. They have 28 first downs compared to Clemson's 18. Maybe you say Clemson had more big plays, but whatever. Third down efficiency, FSU was more efficient on third down than Clemson was. 7 of 13 compared to 9 of 17 for the Tigers. Uh, they gained they outgained them in yards by 90, 460 to 370. And finally, Florida State cuts down on the penalties. 3 for 17 compared to Clemson's 72 penalty yards. Now, the 17 yards that we did have did uh, slow down some drives and put us in bad spots, but three three penalties, 17 yards, um, you'll always take that. Um, but where Clemson did dominate in these stats is really what shows the difference, guys. Fourth downs, Clemson was one of one on DJU's uh, little QB sneak there at, at midfield. Florida State was one of four on fourth down, and Coach Norville is sometimes criticized uh, for being over-aggressive, that fake punt maybe being one of them, and the turnover margin as well. One turnover, that fumble before halftime for Travis, they forced no turnovers for Clemson. And in this uh, this gauntlet of a three-game stretch where you play Wake, NC State, and Clemson, in those three games, FSU has only one turnover. So if you combine turnover on downs, Florida State is turning the ball over quite a bit, and they're not forcing any on the other side of the ball. And that's very true. I mean, you have to be able to do two things in order to ensure a win. Um, you know, I mean, not every single time, but if you're better on third down and you force more turn- more turnovers, uh, I mean, obviously I'm pulling this number uh, out of my butt, but um, you're going to win probably at least three-fourths of the time, probably a lot higher. Uh, you know, when you win the turnover battle and you, you have a better com- uh, conversion rate on third down. But, you know, as Florida State – spectators you know we, we always get we always are hard on on Jimbo Fisher now but I, I want to give credit to him he he always was very concise on what he was going to do on fourth down whether you know he was kicking the ball or whether he was punting the ball whether it was fourth and one fourth and two I think a lot of Florida State fans wanted him to be more aggressive but he wanted the other teams to make mistakes and uh, I think you know Coach Norville probably needs to reevaluate how aggressive he wants to be especially when you're I, I, I know they're trying to beat a good Clemson team at home but you're at home and the defense wasn't playing horrible uh, I, I think at that point in the game you know maybe if you're on your own 40 and Clemson's out of field goal range maybe you you, you try that fake punt but in my opinion it felt forced I, I felt like it was coming not trying to you know I know hindsight's 2020 but it, it felt forced it felt you know, desperate. And um, in my opinion, Florida State was not in a position of desperation at that moment. And going back to what you guys were talking about, Florida State winning the team's stat categories, that wasn't that wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for our fourth quarter effort. Uh, Florida State did take over in the fourth quarter. We did have those two touchdowns. We doubled our score in the fourth quarter. That showed fight. We were able to go and prove to Clemson that we weren't going to go down without a fight. And that means something for this Florida State team. There's some negatives you could take from this game, but one of the positives was the fourth quarter battle. We proved that, and Jordan Travis proved that he could drive down the field quickly if he wanted to. You know, there was there was very very good plays by Jordan Travis towards the end of the game. There, what a valiant effort for him. I mean, I, on one of the last couple drives, you saw him take a really big shot 
and you see him kind of sh trying to shake the head off because you could tell it kind of got to him. But it, on that same drive, he's having a run for his life for a couple more plays. I mean, the, the heart that he alone showed, I think that the team follows him in that, and, and that goes a long way. Um, Clemson, they showed their strengths. They were who we thought they would be. They're uh, exactly who we thought they were. Dennis Green, the old <laughs> Cardinal coach. Yeah, they are who we thought they were. Clemson had nine tackles for loss. That was about their average coming into the game. Two of those were sacks. Six quarterback hurries, though, on top of it. Travis was under duress the entire night. And four passes defense. There was a pass batted down at the line on that fourth and goal, as that Amanda mentioned earlier, could have given the Knolls a shot to be in that game a little bit earlier. And a couple of uh, cornerbacks making some really nice plays. Another one, which was on a fourth down uh, earlier in the game when they were trying to go to Johnny Wilson. So defense making all the plays also on the offensive side of the ball it was the balanced attack uh they were 15 for 23 passing they rushed the ball 44 times uh for almost 170 yards yeah speaking of rushing um i found this this was on twitter earlier from kurt weiler shout out it said fsu averaged 6.06 yards per carry carry against clemson which is the most yards per carry clemson has allowed since the 2016 national title game versus alabama if that doesn't open your eyes to just how dominant Florida State's rushing game is, I don't know what will. Even without the presence of Treshawn Ward back with, I guess, what do they call him, the three-headed snake now? You know, Trey Benson and Lawrence Toafili, we were talking about earlier, had some of their best performances of the season by far, I believe. And just utilizing them when we can and just making sure that our offensive line is doing their job, I think that's really what Florida State can hone in on and what could separate them from other teams that's what i'm yeah and and to piggyback off of that you know you have four plays down at the you know you have four plays to get into the end zone i'm not sure if all four plays were on the two yard line there but my point is you have, you have four plays to get in the end zone and you throw on all four and you're averaging six yards a carry i i, I know clemson has a great defensive line but i just don't get it Two plays, two of the same plays back to back, too. Exactly, and Johnny Wilson, he's a, he's a great target, and he, he's a great fade route uh, player. But there, it just doesn't make any sense to me to to run the exact same play twice and run pass plays four times in a row when you're when your running backs have been putting out stellar production. I just don't get it. From where I was sitting on the home sideline, this is just strictly if you if the listener you wanna you wanna you know put your finger on the pulse of this fan base. People were getting restless. They did not like that they ran the same fade route to Johnny Wilson three times in that sequence. Stuff like that happens. Uh, Wilson has, has had the case of the drops a little bit this year. I think he's an incredibly high upside player, um, but also very up and down. And, and it gets back to that point we've been making the last two weeks. Is, is Mike Norvell trusting the process too much? And, you know... If you look at the analytics and say, okay, well, the fade route to Johnny Wilson is our highest percentage play. Correct. But if you throw it, you know, however many times in a row, defense is going to be expecting it. And it, it, it's, you have to try different things sometimes. You have to go a little bit out of the ordinary in order to win football games. And, you know, I, you know, I just said that while he also, I'm also condemning the fake punt. Um, I think it had a lot of, it took a lot of gall. It took a, you know, it, it, it was a big decision. I'm not saying it was a, um, cowardly decision. That's not what I'm saying at all. But um, you know, you have to make decisions that go against the grain sometimes. Yeah, bright spots for Florida State. You guys kind of led me right into it. Uh, 
Uh, Knowles ran for 206 yards, comes out to six yards per carry against a Clemson defense coming in that had allowed 60 yards per game on the ground. That was it. And they had about 120 by the time halftime rolled around. Um, coming out of the second half, they did try and run, and they had a couple of big tackles for loss. And uh, at that point, it seemed like the offense abandoned the run game a little bit. But it was a big part of why they were in this game early. And also, give Coach Norvell credit for another nice opening game plan. Uh, he did some creative things. I, I mentioned in the open, instead of kind of just running up the middle, trying to feel the game out like they'll sometimes do, um, what, what you'll hear in the NFL, the, the screen game as an extension of the run game. They had some of these big tight ends uh, shifting over to one side. You have the running back swing out over there and already get some big blockers out in front. And they had some success with that on the opening drive. And then that also set up the run interior because you spread the defense out, then run up the middle. Um, so I, I think he had the right game plan uh, going in. And this is the, the big question that I want to ask. If if you gave Coach Norvell the opportunity today, knowing everything that he knows right now and the game is 0-0, does he do anything different? Because I thought he did a lot of things right, um, and I, I wonder maybe if he would do it all again the same way, given the cards he was dealt. I mean, you'd like to think he'd do some things differently. You'd like to think that he'd trust the run game a little bit more. Uh, and you'd like to think that, um, really, I mean, here's the thing. Clemson beat Florida State in a multitude of ways. It, it, it wasn't, of you know, like when Clemson and Wake Forest played each other, it wasn't a an air raid uh, day the entire way. Clemson beat Florida State. They beat them over the top. They beat them with a run game. They beat them, you know, uh, really busting out the outside. Uh, they beat them running up the gut. They, be, they, they beat them in a multitude of ways. I think if Norvell knows what we know now, um, I think it would be a different outcome, and I think I think Florida State would probably pull it out. But, um, yeah, I, I think he needed to trust the run game just a little bit more. Any thoughts on the other side of the room? I mean, yeah, I agree. I mean, just especially – I keep bringing it up, but I just it has, like, stung my heart since it happened. That Like, you're on the two-yard line. Why not throw DJ Lundy in there again? In that – touchdown he had he tripped over Jordan Travis's leg and still somehow made his way into the end zone Rewatching that replay I was like how did that happen I I still don't get how that happened I just you know I do give credit to Mike Norvell I do think that he you know overall not it was kind of out of his hands you know he did his job but that, that I'm just gonna keep bringing it up. That play at the two yard line is just I just I really do think that could have changed the entire outcome of the game if you were to to score there. It, it does it does change a lot. Yeah yeah. DJ Lundy and his two carries, both touchdowns, kind of shades of Walter Payton going up and over uh, the the trench there. Could have been different. A lot of things could have been different. That's why I pose the question: Is um, you know, given the chance, what would they do different? But uh, the reality is, you can't have those back. Consistency plagued this team for yet another week. Um, if if they would finish, well, they, if yeah, they do finish as hot as they start, but it's the middle of the game really um, where they lack. That that's going to be the the big thing that they need to get straightened out. However, that is maybe it's staying more committed to the run game. Whatever the case may be. Um, closing thoughts, FSU, they're 4-3, and 2-3 and three in conference play. They trail uh, Clemson, who's 5-0 and oh in the Atlantic, so that's about all she wrote in the standings there as far as contending for Charlotte in December. The Knowles finished the three-game gauntlet that we talked about, 0-3, oh wanted to come out with at least one or two wins. Instead, you get none, and you're 4-3 and three on the year. 
Uh, they get the bye week this week, then a noon game at home against a Georgia Tech team that is surging since they fired their coach a couple of ACC wins. They'll probably pick up a third this Thursday against Virginia. So that's no cakewalk either. They're going to need to get it straightened out, but they've got some time off to do it. But with that being said, that wraps up the first half. Coming up right now, Jack Oliaro with Seminole Segment. Jack? Thank you, William. What's good, everyone? I am Jack Oliaro, routing off the Seminole Segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics. Uh, let's waste no time here and get straight into it, as the 4th-ranked Florida State Seminoles hosted the 12th-ranked Duke Blue Devils in the midst of their most difficult difficult stretch of the season. A roller coaster of a week included a 1-0 win over Virginia, but also a 0-4 drumming at the hands of Notre Dame, and after playing three games in nine days on the road, Seminoles would finally get a chance to come home and play in front of the Tallahassee faithful. The Seminoles opened the scoring halfway through the first period when Jody Brown fired her shot low and true into the back of the net, but not even five minutes passed before Duke had an equalizer off a couple of weird bounces off a uh, off a free kick that led to a Grace Watkins goal and won all a game at the half. Florida State was about even with Duke, and one could argue Duke would look like most likely to go on a win, but the Knolls have made it a habit of kicking it up a notch in the second half, and they did just that with three goals in the opening 20 minutes out of the break. Jody Brown with her second, along with goals to Beata Olsen, uh, Leilani Nesbeth, all before Olivia Garcia put the cherry on top with an 80th-minute header that finalized the score at 5-1. Uh, after the game, head coach Brian Penske stated, quote, We achieved a lot at a high level, and we were embarrassed on Sunday, referring to uh, Notre Dame. And so we all became tested a little bit, and I think we obviously answered the bell. Fire lit, inspired, embarrassed, angry, all the emotions. Uh, we defended well. We kept the ball well. Tonight looked more like Florida State soccer, close quote. Uh, FSU will have their toughest match at home this Thursday when the second-ranked North Carolina Tar Heels come to Seminole Soccer Complex. A loss for FSU would open the re- ACC regular season title back open to Notre Dame or UNC, while a win would strengthen their hold on that title. Uh, that game will be on this Thursday at 8 p.m. at the Seminole Soccer Complex, available to watch on the ACC Network, and we'll also have some live Twitter coverage of that match at V89 Sports on Twitter. Uh, moving from the pitch to the court, where Florida State volleyball team were on the road with trips to Virginia, to the Virginia Cavaliers and the eighth-ranked Pitt Panthers. Uh, the Virginia game saw the two sides trade sets back and forth until we came to the fifth-set tiebreaker where the Knolls fell 12-15, handing the Cavaliers their first ACC win in their seventh attempt at it. Uh, Abby Towder and Grace Turner led Virginia with over 40 combined points as the duo caused problems and it finally came together for them. The Seminoles didn't have too much time to lick wounds as they had to face the mighty Pitt Panthers, an undefeated in-conference ACC team that just swept Miami, and unfortunately FSU was dealt the same hand as they were swept 3-0 by the Panthers and couldn't finish within even five points of the target 25 until the final set. Uh, They were dominated by a better side, which wasn't unexpected, but that Virginia loss made this defeat feel worse for the Seminoles. Uh, basically putting it down to an unsuccessful road trip. But they will be back at home this weekend with a Friday night game against Virginia Tech at 6.30 and a Sunday afternoon meeting with Wake Forest at 1 p.m. Both games available on the ACC Network Extra. To wrap up, before we go back into the studio, the AP posted their 2022 men's preseason college basketball poll where Florida State did not finish in the top 25 but are ranked 32nd going into the new season that will begin soon. We also had another weekend of coverage for FSU softball's fall exhibition slate. Last week, the Seminoles took down Lurlin B. Wallace Community College, and this week, they destroyed Wallace Community College 15-3. This weekend, we'll see baseball and softball host preseason games in the fall, uh, starting on Saturday afternoon, where the baseball team will face the Kennesaw State uh, Owls at the Dick Hauser Stadium at 1 p.m., 
while softball will face the Columbus State Cougars at 2 p.m. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. I've been, still am, and, you know, hope to continue as Jack Oliaro. William and Jackson, run it. Thank you, Jack. Tomahawk Talk rolls on. William Jackson, Amanda, our other Jack, our deucer, 850-644-1837, the number you can call the show as we continue on talking about some other other games in the college football world. The big one, one of the biggest games of the year, Tennessee over Alabama, 52-49 in a thriller. A couple of Alabama touchdowns within a minute uh, late in the game makes it 49-42 tied. Tennessee gets the uh, gets the score back tied. Alabama misses a 50-yarder with 15 seconds left. And from their own 32-yard line, Tennessee gets to the opposite 23 in just 15 seconds to set up the game-winning field goal. The fans rush the field, tear down the goalposts, all of that you saw. Alabama allows 567 yards. They had 17 penalties for 130 yards. Uh, to me, Tennessee's Hendon Hooker emerges as the Heisman favorite. And their receiver, Jalen Hyatt, six catches, 207 yards, five touchdowns, averaged 34 yards a catch. What a barn burner of a game. And, yeah, it was just an absolute stunner. Um, you know, I don't think anybody predicted this high scoring of a game. Um, but, you know, the last two or three years, Alabama's defense is just not what – it was, you know, in the early era, you know, following their championship in 2009 on up until about, you know, 2014, 2015. Their, their defense has been just, I wouldn't say atrocious because there's at times where, you know, they don't allow anything and they're they're a stellar ball club. But um, in the big games, it seems like they're they're winning in shootouts. And, you know, you got to give credit to Nick Saban for, um, you know, kind of switching and not being stale and going to that spread West Coast offense more. But, um, you know... Who would have thought they'd they'd give up 52 points to Tennessee? I, I that wouldn't have been me. Josh Heupel, the the head coach, Hendon Hooker, the quarterback. They have shown the college football world that they are here and they're contenders. Yeah, they sure did. With this Alabama game, if Alabama's allowing over 50 points, how do you expect them to win? But I guess when they put up 49, they make it close. And with the McGrath field goal at the end there, there's nothing better in a football game to watch that ball after it's kicked see it go in the air and you just can't tell whether if it's going to go in or not that was extremely fun to see a three seed and a six seed have it come down to that that's just extremely exciting i had the game on my phone inside the stadium and the whole crowd going nuts everyone the whole country loves when alabama loses and that was as you mentioned that knuckler of a kick as it wobbled through pandemonium in knoxville tennessee tallahassee florida across the country it seemed like Everyone was thrilled about this win. The Vols win over Alabama for the first time in 15 years, uh, but the job's not done yet. They will still likely have to win at Georgia to make the SEC championship. They also have Kentucky, uh, uh, I believe, the week before or the week after. That's going to be a really tough test as well. So uh, they're up to number three. They they got the spotlight, but they've got some tough games left in the schedule. Absolutely, and uh, that Tennessee-Georgia game might be you know, the game of the year after what we thought uh, we saw Knoxville was going to be. But, um, you know, the SEC, golly, I mean, it, it's, you know, the ACC Atlantic has been stellar uh, this season, but uh, I don't think we've ever seen both an SEC East and West be this good at the same time. And the West has, you know, slipped a little bit uh, this season, but um, just great matchups all around. 
just it's been a stellar football season for sure. SEC no longer top heavy as it once was, and now you're adding Texas and Oklahoma into that mix pretty soon too. And the SEC they are making moves. Just it's 24, quickly. right? Sorry, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, either next year or the year after. Um, quickly out of the other game, Michigan over Penn State at the Big House, 41-17. The Wolverines hold the ball for 42 minutes. They run for over 400 yards, um, and, and so they look pretty legit beating a good Big Ten defense. Um, but then the, the, another game in the, the ACC Atlantic, that was a big one. Syracuse in the JMA Wireless Dome. They beat NC State 24-9. to uh, the Wolfpack quarterback Devin Leary is out for the year it was announced after that hit he took against Florida State so it was Jack Chambers who we saw uh, now fully starting uh, for the pack Syracuse lost the turnover battle 2 to nothing. they lost the time of possession battle by about 10 minutes but they still win the game fairly handily Sean Tucker the running back is a threat he's a problem they got this guy Gadsden at receiver who is, is kind of like a Johnny Wilson but maybe a little better if I even dare to say it and then Garrett Schrader the transfer at quarterback Syracuse, they're six and zero for the first time since '87. They look good. And Sean Tucker was pleased with his performance. That's, That's the, right. That you know, after having a bad weekend, after seeing that Sean Tucker tweeted out as he always does, whether or not he was pleased with his performance, we can celebrate that at least. Sean Tucker uh, had a good game. Uh, I believe a couple touchdowns, almost 100 yards rushing. Um, but this coming weekend, Syracuse versus Clemson. That is going to be a, a marquee matchup for sure at noon. You surprised by that, William? I they, they had put that out a couple weeks ago. I want to say it's homecoming for Clemson, and uh, with some of the other games going on at night, you got to have at least one good game at noon for for people to watch. And we'll talk about that next. But yeah, I just want to say you talk. You mentioned the, the Sean Tucker thing. I cannot wait to get our guest from Syracuse so we can ask him about some of that stuff. Absolutely. Sean Tucker is one of the most interesting players in the sport. He is a, a really cool dude, and he has played really well for yet another year in the Orange. Uh, but picking some Week 8 games in college football because Florida State will be off, and you'll be watching some other games most likely. Now number 14, Syracuse, travels to now number 5, Clemson. Clemson favored by 13.5. It is at noon. Uh, we'll go around the room picking this game. Uh, I think Clemson is probably going to clean up with this one. I don't know if it's going to be by 14, but, I mean, Syracuse has had some close calls. Like, they had one against Purdue. They didn't play a very good NC State team that's without Devin Leary. I think I think Clemson, after a game in Tallahassee that was closer than they wanted, are going to want to flex their muscles and, and really make a statement. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I have Clemson covering this game. The line is 13-and-a-half. Um, I think Syracuse... They've they've won some some good games. They've won some, you know, tough situations, tough tough opponents. But uh, I don't think they've faced a team like this all year. And I don't think they will face a team like this all year. So uh, I, Clemson at home too. If this was you know at the 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 what dome? Sorry, JMA Wireless. The, the JMA Wireless Dome. Maybe maybe I'd I'd you know pick Syracuse to cover. But uh, Death Valley is a is a strange. Scary place to play. Maybe not at noon, but it's 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 an interesting place to play. Uh, so I got Clemson covering. I have a great feeling that this is going to be a close game. I do. Undefeated football teams, it's always going to be fun. I think it's going to be a nail-biter. I got Clemson, though, winning. I'm also going to take Clemson. I think it's going to be the most interesting. Um, both of these teams are orange. So I need to make sure I'm actually following the right team when – you know it's happening anywho yeah i'm gonna take clemson as well as much as i would love to see syracuse you know pull an upset i think that 
I think, especially being in Death Valley, kind of like what you said, Jackson, I think Clemson's going to come out with it. And then the last thing to note about this game, both teams are undefeated in ACC play. I mean, they're both undefeated, period. But this game very well could decide who represents um, the ACC Atlantic and the ACC Championship uh, because of how the tiebreakers work. I mean, this game could really decide if Syracuse Who'd have thought is able the beginning to pull of the year. That this is the ACC Atlantic yeah. Championship. Yeah, Clemson, Syracuse. They were Syracuse was predicted legitimately to finish at the bottom of the league, and here they are, six and zero and fourteen in the land. That's why they play the games, William. It's decided on the field, not on paper, as we know. The top ten matchup: number nine UCLA going to Eugene, Oregon. Number ten the Ducks. They're favored by six. This game is at three thirty. Um, this is in some ways an elimination game for the Pac-12. USC. Uh, had a tough loss at Utah. UCLA is undefeated. Oregon has the one loss to Georgia. If Oregon loses, they're out. Um, and that would launch UCLA into some pretty legit contention. Um, I will probably take Oregon. UCLA has had some really close calls. And uh, I think Oregon is probably a more better, a more complete team despite that that really ugly showing in week one. They've come on strong since. Yeah, I'm still picking UCLA. I'm, I'm kind of riding high on that train. Um Oregon's favored by six. Yeah, it's in Autzen, right? Yeah, yeah so, tough place to play. And that is true, but um, I think Bo Nix doesn't do all that great in prime time. Um, I think he's kind of the Kirk Cousins of college football. So uh, I'm going to give the nod to the UCLA Bruins. I agree. I think the UCLA Bruins will pull it out on Fox at 3.30. I think they got it. Um, nine seed this year. I wouldn't have expected it going into the season that they would have performed this well. But they're going up against Oregon. It's going to be another close one, I think. I'm going to take Oregon. I think, I mean, what a good weekend for college football. I'm frankly more excited Florida State has a bye so we can just sit and watch all the great football this weekend. But I, I'm going to take Oregon. I don't know. I'm just, I've got a feeling. All right. Also at 3.30, if, if you're not into some West Coast action, some SEC action, number seven, Ole Miss, they're 7-0 and on the road in the other Death Valley in Baton Rouge against LSU. LSU is actually favored by one and a half. The line very close. It was a pick em earlier today. LSU, they had a, a good, healthy win over Florida. Uh, the last time LSU had a big game at home, though, they got thrashed by Tennessee. That was just a couple of weeks ago. Not close at all. Um, you know, is this a game that Vegas knows something we don't? I don't know. Um, but I'm going to take Ole Miss because I feel like I'd be a fool not to at 7-0, and and, and they've got one of the most prolific offenses. I don't think Brian Kelly in his first year is ready for the fastest attack in college football, and uh, I think Ole Miss is going to roll. I agree. Uh, for pizza points, uh, money line, hammer down on, uh, on Ole Miss. Uh, like you said, Brian Kelly, I, I, just, I think he's a year or two away to getting this LSU team where it needs to be. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going Ole Miss to, uh, on, on Moneyline. Riding the lane train for some pizza picks. Uh, Ole Miss. Uh, being at the LSU-FSU game, we saw LSU show some mistakes. They've shown a little bit of um, wavery plays all year. Ole Miss is undefeated. I got Ole Miss. I'm also going to take Ole Miss as well. There yeah. you go. we got a clean sweep on this one. So that'll do it for the college football. Now into the NFL. Start with what this week was another very rainy, cloudy, sunshine slate. Florida NFL teams go 0-3. They're combined 1-8 in the last three weeks. So after a hot start, 
kind of like Florida State, everything has kind of come screeching to a halt. A halt. We'll start in Pittsburgh, where the Bucks lost 20 to 18. Really rough game. Bucks only had one touchdown. They kicked four field goals. Um, Kenny Pickett threw his first touchdown pass for the Steelers. He gets hurt. Mitch Trubisky comes in, goes nine for 12, and you know clinches the game with a big throw on third down after the Bucks failed to get the two point conversion to tie it up. Uh, before we get into it, though, hit the uh, the Gene Deckerhoff call of the week. Bucks convert on fourth down and two. And it's first down from the 12-yard line. The snap to Brady. Swing pass to Leonard Fournette. Got a convoy on the right inside the 10. Made a guy miss to the 5. 3-2-1. Touchdown. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Great effort by playoff Lenny Fournette. That was courtesy of the uh, the Bucks radio network there. Jack. Tom, Tom Brady. Uh, he could have had a better game. There were some passes that missed. Uh, good thing Ryan Suckup showed up, though. 4-4 four for four on field goals. The Buccaneers needed him. But I couldn't believe that the Steelers were coming on a four-game losing streak and Tampa Bay comes in town and Pittsburgh prevailed. Yeah, the, the Steelers, as everyone knows, has not had a losing season under Tomlin. They're 1-4 going in. Uh, they were uh, Tampa Bay was favored by 9.5. Steelers win outright. Um, I'm just going to go on the record. I'm, I'm going to put this out there. Uh, Brady now does not practice on Wednesdays. He was not in the walkthrough on Friday because he had to be at Robert Kraft's wedding in Manhattan on Saturday, I believe. Took a private charter, did not fly with the team, flew privately to Pittsburgh, I believe, Saturday night. So he's not practicing with the team. He's not around the team. And if and if the offense was playing well, I would probably not even bring it up. But he's out of sync with all his receivers. A lot of miscommunication. The offense does not look in sync. This is an issue. I'm just going to come out and say it. It's, it's as plain as that. I mean, when you have to record the masked singer, I mean, it. it <laughs> I mean, I, I no, but I, I agree. Um, you know, within a locker room, a football team is a lot more than just a lot of people or a bunch of players on paper. You know, locker room culture. We we've talked about this. You know, for the last for the last for the two years we've been on this show. Yeah. Uh, no matter what role we're in. Locker room culture is everything, and um, if you have a guy that, uh, even if he's the greatest of all time, if you have a guy that thinks, you know, I don't, I don't need to come on Wednesday, I don't need to be there on, on Friday night, Saturday for, uh, even when we have a game the next day, I, I would feel a little, out of sync emotionally too. I mean, it, it's, it's, it makes sense. It makes sense. Right before halftime, that the cameras caught him lighting into his offensive line. Now, granted, they have not played very well. Uh, as I look at the stats, they ran the ball to the tune of 2.9 yards per carry. So the run game has been awful. He's been pressured a ton. Um, he's throwing the ball more than he'd like. Things are ugly in Tampa Bay, but they're still 3-3. Three and three. They are tied for first place in the NFC South. The Falcons pick up a win, so they're tied both 3-3, three and three, but an awful NFC South, the Bucks will still be around, even uh, playing like this. Uh, they they get Carolina, who is the the tire fire in the NFL this year, it seems. So a chance to get back on track there, especially after trading Robbie Anderson today, and uh, you know you have three mid quarterbacks all vying for for playing time. And however, they did beat the Saints, as in you know the Bucks. They did beat the Saints. So uh, if you're looking for a litmus test uh, for the rest of their season, you can include uh, beating the Saints. Uh, as a positive for this team. Got to beat the Panthers if you're Tampa Bay. Uh, the Miami Dolphins fall to the Vikings in uh, Fort Lauderdale 24-16, to the fourth week in a row of a, a Miami quarterback injury. 
Um, it was Thompson, uh, the, the third stringer, starting the game. He hurts his thumb on his throwing hand. Skylar Thompson comes out of the game. It was Teddy Bridgewater. So they go kind of from the third string to the backup because Teddy had cleared a concussion protocol, but they didn't want to start him. He ends up playing most of the game as a couple of killer interceptions. There was a really bad Jalen Waddle fumble, and then Minnesota had a big run off of that to kind of seal things up. They've lost three in a row since the 3-0 and start. They're 3-3. and they're tied for third in the AFC East, so after a really hard start with McDaniel, uh, a lot of this quarterback trouble has doomed them. They don't look to be in good shape right now. And, you know, we, we talked about Florida State with their uh, inability to uh, be big in big moments um, these past three weeks, and it's pretty much the same thing with the Miami Dolphins. Um, you, know, you go to the game against the Jets last week, uh, and they miss a field goal to go up, and said, you know, the, the momentum completely changes. Um, end up losing big to the Jets. Same thing here with um, their game this past week. You know, the Waddle fumble. They, they're, they're driving. They're down six. It's the fourth quarter. Uh, it's either it's early fourth quarter. Um, they have a chance to take the lead. They have a chance to gain the momentum. They have a chance to, you know, go up after being down the entire game to a good Viking squad, a four and one Viking squad, with their backup quarterback, who was the backup that day to the third string, like you like you mentioned. And to have that fumble not go your way, um, it's just a complete morale killer. Yeah, that was not fun. Like, I mean, af- out of everybody that you would have thought, I would have not thought that it would have been, it would have come down to Waddle, yeah, absolutely. you know, causing that. And then just to, you know, deepen the knife, Dalvin Cook goes and, absolutely kills the Dolphins on the I don't even know how long that was it was far it was, and then he so what about him playing in Florida especially in Hard Rock in Miami um it, it was it was a good homecoming for him so for the Knowles and the pros we can we can celebrate but um as Dolphins as fans, Dolphins fans yeah. it like you said it was a it was a knife right into the heart and it just got kept getting turned over and over and over it was ugh, it was it was hard to watch although I mean this weekend um, on Sunday, the Dolphins taking on the Steelers with Tua being back. Not that I'm like, oh, it's going to, you know, they're going to win, Tua's back, whatever. Like, I like the Dolphins in that game, though. No, I, I, I do too, but I'm saying it's going to be interesting to see, especially all the press that's been going around the Dolphins just in general with the whole concussion protocols to a situation. You know, every, you know about that. Yeah, but I, I like Mc, Mike McDaniel. I like I his, his ability to be a player's coach but at the same time have control of the locker room um from what i've seen i, I like the dolphins to uh to win whatever the line is i, I whether they're I, i'm actually i don't even know if they have it out yet but um i'm picking the dolphins it's a big game i mean it, it, it's not a must win at this point in the season but but pittsburgh trying to crawl out of that early hole miami favored by seven on sunday night okay yeah maybe not <laughs> maybe not that that's a big line but um i see them winning by at least four yeah, they they need that game really really badly. Miami also had a, a fake punt that didn't go their way. Um, wrapping out the the Sunshine Slate, the Jaguars fall in Indianapolis late to the Colts, thirty four twenty seven. The Colts scored on their last three drives. The Jaguars defense that has played really well faltered and really cost them. The Jaguars offense looked really good. Trevor Lawrence was twenty for twenty two. No mistakes, um, was a game manager. They had an 18-play, 10-minute drive that looked like it might steal the deal. Uh, they ran for almost 250 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. 
Um, but it just another week, whether you know it's thirteen to six against the Texans or or whatever the case. This time it's a, it's a late touchdown pass for Matt Ryan and a Colts team that has been a little wishy washy. This is a game the Jacks really needed in the AFC South, but they don't get it. It's a game they should have won too. Absolutely, but they're two and four. They're third in the division, and uh, it looks like they're they're in rough shape at least for now. But uh, with Doug Peterson, this offense looked really good. They have some really speedy running backs. They've got some weapons. Um, you know, maybe not this year, but but they're they're trucking along. I, I've got faith in what's what they're got going on. Just a quickly reading out the headlines: Eagles, uh, they're they're still undefeated. They're six and zero after beating Dallas on Sunday night. Uh, the Bills win in Kansas City in the regular season again. They are the best team in the AFC right now. They've got the tiebreaker over KC uh, come January, if that matters. And I wish we had enough time, but we got to talk some baseball. But uh, New York football. The Giants are five and one. The Jets are four and two. Maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll have to get some breakdown on that because maybe the two most surprising teams in the NFL both uh, play in the tri-state area. And real quick, a big weekend for the Salas in sports. Uh, I know we're, we don't talk English Premier League all that much, but Mo Salah, big goal uh, against Man City, and then you have Robert Salah, of course, for the New York Jets getting the big win. Uh, so a weekend for the Salas, that's for sure. Good call. Wrapping the show with some baseball. We'll start in the National League because we have more clarity as of right now. A couple big upsets, a couple of major 100, uh, 101, 111-win division winners both falling in four games in the division series. The Padres over the Dodgers in four games. They win both games in San Diego after splitting the first two in Dodger Stadium. Whew. Dave Roberts, the Dodgers... Another heartbreaking, crushing way to end their season. I just, watching, I have not been more upset watching a baseball game in a very long time, watching this series. Um, it's just, they couldn't, our Dodge, uh, being a Dodgers fan, bats could not get going and stay consistent. It's just, having such a historic, like, record, too, with the 111 win, like, to go out the way that they did is just it's heartbreaking, man. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, MLB history. How many teams do you know that have won in 111 games in a season? Not many. Probably only a handful. This Dodgers team is so dominant. This offense up and down the lineup, 1 through 9, but this San Diego offense doesn't even have Fernando Tatis and they're doing what they're doing. Manny Machado. Juan Soto hasn't even done what he's been doing, but Jake Cronenworth, uh, he's shown that he is a great hitter and this pitching, uh, the bullpen was outstanding. Not as outstanding as the Guardians, but the Padres' bullpen has been great. The Padres' starters are great. Hugh Darvish is a veteran. Blake Snell, former Tampa Bay Ray, performed. Joe Musgrove performed. This Padres team only won 89 games. They're playing the Phillies in the NLCS. They only won 86 games. We have no Braves. We have no Mets. We have no Dodgers in the NLCS. They both had over 100 wins on the season. Who could have predicted that? Baseball fans, I don't know. And, and William, not to put you on the spot here, but um, you know, you as more of a baseball guy than I am, um, does this bring more legitimacy to expanding the wild? And I can open this up to you, to Jack and Amanda as well. Do you think this adds more legitimacy to the wild card or less? It does. Um, I, th- I want to say under the old format, uh, the, the the Padres would have made the playoffs anyway. The Phillies would not have, and so but but it's kind of a double sided coin in that 
Yeah, the Phillies got really hot. Um, you know, they they swept the Mets and they went on and, and beat the Braves in four games. But a lot of baseball purists would say, well, they don't really deserve to be there. You know, they didn't win enough games in 162. Why should they get the chance? Why should the Braves, who won 101 games, be penalized by playing a team that's gotten so hot? It's a double-sided issue. Um, but I think you would have to say, at least at the surface level, it absolutely validates this expanded model because these these lower-seeded, these teams going on the road, um, have been kicking butt. And, and um, to uh, rebut the, the purists that you mentioned, if you take that all the way down to the end of the argument, there's no need for playoffs anyway. Right. So, uh, it, like you said, it is a double-sided coin. It's an interesting debate to have. Um, but, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, it's, it's definitely a, a good question, and, and I, I wouldn't have guessed that it, it would have made as much headlines as it did early just because of, of these major upsets. No one could have seen this coming. The Phillies over the Braves three games to one, similar thing. Uh, the first playoff game in Philadelphia in 11 years, that huge Reese Hoskins home run where he slams the bat down, gave him all the energy. Phillies are pitching really well, but the offense is also insanely hot. Bryce Harper is white hot. Nicholas Castellanos is finally hitting for the first time this year. Uh, let's just let's let's get let's get some picks here. Phillies Padres and the NLCS for the right to go to the World Series. Who takes this in seven games? I will take San Diego. Phillies, they have a great offense too. San Diego, they have a great offense. Phillies pitching, it's going to be a good one. These are two wild card teams that proved that they can play in the postseason and that they can play in the clutch. They took down these dominant regular season teams. It's close. I'm going to go with San Diego. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the Phillies. I think their pitching is probably better. It's a really interesting series in that it's it's a battle of two super hungry fan bases. It's going to, it's going to be... Every game is going to be awesome environment, um, but I like how the Philly starters are going a little bit, a little more right now. I think the Padres pitching is more gettable, and uh, so I'll take the Phillies to go to the World Series. Did not think I would be saying that. I'm I'm going to pick the Padres. Uh, you know, in the NBA in the 80s and 90s, we we always saw teams had to quote unquote wait their turn. Um, the Padres have been doing that, in my opinion, for a little bit longer behind the Dodgers, and now that they've finally gotten over that hump. I think that will give them the confidence to get them over the edge against the Phillies. I'm going to go Phillies, or excuse me, I'm going to go Padres in six. I'm also going to take the Padres. I also just found this ESPN headline that says, Padres eliminate Dodgers, advance to the NLCS for the first time since 1998. Yeah. That's, I mean, talk about, I mean, motivation right there. That's Feels like 98. you got Tennessee yeah. and you have, uh, you have the Padres. <laughs> that is a good call. We don't know in the American League what the ALCS would be. It would be the winner of whenever this Game 5 gets played between the Yankees and the Guardians, they'll play the Astros, who unfortunately swept the Mariners, that awful 18-inning one nothing game. Um, so we'll talk more baseball next week. Also, quick announcement, the great Aria Masudi will be in studio with us, former V89 sports legend, former host of this program. He'll be in to talk about all things Florida State, talk about his new work with the ACC Network and so forth. Really excited to have him in uh, next week, so make sure you tune in for that. But this is this, uh, this has been Tomahawk Talk for William Haynes, Jackson Bakich, Amanda Golson, uh, and Jack Arducer as well, our producer Jack Oliaro. Uh, new releases next. This is WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.